Oh, uh, distro box, man. We need to. We need to. Like, what a what an interesting. Yeah, I use I use the heck out of that here uh, with Debian. Right, right. Between Flatpak and DistroBox, there ain't nothing I can't get my hands on anymore. And like on Debian, that's the and I'll, I'll mean I'm gonna mention that because that is super important. But yeah, it's Dude, just wow. All right, I'll, I'll I'll spoiler alert right here right Uh-oh. now. Um, okay, I didn't use Flatpak. Coming up in this episode, an NVMe for me, the sure next to you. Of course, the history of Debian and our thoughts of it over the months. Welcome to Linux User Space. I'm Leo. And I'm Dan. Dan, you have new storage. Yeah, buddy. I did some shopping on Prime Day, and oh. I, I got a couple of good deals. Uh, one of them was a new NVMe drive for my desktop right here and right in front of me. So this is the Ooh. first episode with the new storage. Interesting. What what drive did you get? What uh, what NVMe? I got the Crucial P3+. Plus. Two terabyte. Ooh, that's a lot of storage. That's a lot of storage because we do this show thing where we have a lot of video and stuff, and it takes a lot of storage to get all that done sometimes. And it's nice to have the fast storage so you can pull things together and whatnot. So, well, you FFmpeg a lot, so I do. a new drive will help with that a whole lot. Oh, very much so. So, I mean, I got a pretty good deal. I had a 256 gig drive in here, so it was absolutely tiny. Uh, that's just wow. the boot drive. All right, so I do have another drive separate from that as well that I, okay. I just kind of, you know, throw some data at. But uh, Was it SSD as well? It That is just an SSD, not an NVMe. Okay, so two and a half inch, the older style. Okay. It's still warm storage, but it's like not my primary, right? So the boot disk, right. obviously NVMe, and lots of times initial files end up on the NVMe, and then we have our sync thing that comes off the NVMe, all that stuff, right? I basically cloned my drive from the 256 to mm-hmm. the two terabyte i did it in a in a stepped fashion i use butterfs so all all the butterfs people are probably going to tell me i did it wrong oh you did it doesn't matter how you did it you I, did it wrong I, I absolutely did i didn't use butterfs and here's why as the main primary disk obviously you know with EFI partitions and boot partitions, that stuff is FAT32, and it's not, you're not ButterFS there, or at least you shouldn't be if, if you want it to work. We definitely don't partition shame on this show. No, but I mean, that's the way it should be, right? I mean, so like I've got a, I've got a boot, uh, you know, directory there that needs to get pulled over as well. So ButterFS yeah. send is not gonna help you at all with that right i mean doesn't do that no. so you got to pull out the old dd pocket knife and uh could have do it all I, manually I, I could have done that but that would have required you know 
putting both of the discs in there at the same time. Oh. Not that I couldn't do that, because I do have two NVMe slots, but I didn't want to have to fiddle around with, you know, having both of them installed at the same True. time. True. I, I always have a uh, always have a USB enclosure for jobs like this. I could have done that as well. Um, but I took the really sysadmin way, I think. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I used RescueZilla. It's a project that we've pitched before. Um, yeah, I think it was a it was an app focus. Wasn't it was an it? app at one focus point? at one point. Yeah, oh. and so I copied the 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 OneDrive, did it did a backup with RescueZilla, basically clones the whole drive onto my external. It's a spinning disk, but it's it's much larger, so I can make a copy of it. So then I have a backup. What a concept, mm-hmm. right? I mean, backups are good. And mm-hmm. hey, you know what? Backups are no good if you don't test them out and test out your restore process every once in a while. So I did that. Would you look at that? I did that. So I took, I copied it off, took the old drive out, put the new drive in, started up RescueZilla, did a restore, and it copied everything right back. And then, uh, you know, pulled out the RescueZilla, pulled out the external drive, and voila, I booted right into my, my system just like it was. Only one thing left to do. That's expand your drive. And so you can do that with parted. That's pretty easy. You just tell it to use the whole thing. And then you do the same thing with ButterFS. There's a command to do that to tell it to, you know, expand, use the whole drive. Mm-hmm. And uh, nice. uh, voila, I'm, you know, now two terabytes instead of 256 megs. Woo! So how much storage are you currently using right now? I'm putting you on the spot. You got to open up file managers or you know, a terminal or something and check on, check on this. But um, while you check on that, I will remind everybody, uh, RescueZilla was the app slash distro sort of thing that we covered in episode 16 of season one, full on nerd. So, okay, there we go. If you're feeling nostalgic, you want to go back a couple of years. Uh, it's still a great project. I, I've updated mine, obviously. It's running the new jammy jellyfish because uh, it runs mm, on Ubuntu. Mm, 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 mm. Um, so that helps it boot on some things a little better, probably. Um, so if we if we could focus on an app right now, it would be Res- RescueZilla or Parted, maybe. Maybe. Uh, yeah, maybe. To, yeah. Um, yeah. I used both of those. They were great. So I'm using 191 gig. So I was, I was getting. So you weren't even using the whole disc in the first place. No, but it's, it's getting close. You know, okay. 191 out of 256 is, it's creeping up there, right? I mean, oh, that's, well, and that's assuming you got the whole 256. You know, that thing was like 225. Oh, yeah. Formatted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, no, no, no. Gigabytes. So I was getting close. I was, I was yeah. not over, but I, you know, I was very cognizant of how much space I had. And like you're oh, feeling gotta, cramped, got to move some stuff over here now because I don't yep. have any space anymore. You know, yeah, that sort of yep. thing. I mean, yeah, yeah, it's just shuffling it around. Uh, I don't have to. Sh- I don't have to shuffle it around so fast anymore. So um, I actually got a pretty good deal. I got that for ninety five dollars. Whoa, man! I'm, I'm so looking forward. That's pretty good. I feel like I bought uh, Enterprise four terabyte spinning discs mm-hmm. for my NAS. I have three of them. Um, for about 160 each, and this That's... was five, six years ago. So right. they're getting long in the tooth. They probably they're out of warranty. I think they had a five year warranty, so mm-hmm. they're out of warranty now. It's probably time. Um, so now, yeah, now now we're in we're in scary territory. Um, but I'm not using all of that space. 
So it wouldn't be a huge deal. What I, Okay, so what I'm getting at is what I want to do is I just want to buy a PCI card with a bunch of NVMe slots in it and then just go to NVMe NAS storage. And uh, this is all in the mini ITX form factor, right? So those those disks are big com- compared to this case. It's a very small case. Um, and so going NVMe would save on heat, save on space, uh, increase airflow. Uh, it would... Uh, you know, extend the life of the hardware by being less hot. Yeah. And oh man, yeah. Cause that, that CPU will heat up, man. Like once mm-hmm. I filled up all the disk <laughs> drive bays, uh, that CPU, I mean, it's mm-hmm. getting yeah, in the definitely. high 60s when it starts doing stuff. And I'm like, you know, I, it's not, not a huge deal, but still it's like, uh, you know, yeah. so it, it would be easier that. on it. Yeah. So we're getting close to that price point, and I'm so excited for that. Yeah, no, it's definitely cool. So the other thing I got is a new audio interface. Oh, yeah. I mean, I've been using a a, a, a mixer, an eight-channel mixer, which is great. Like, I love it. It's a big mamma jamma, too. I've seen it. It's yeah, it, large. It, it, it takes up as much space as my laptop sitting over here now, and that's the yeah. thing. Like, it ate up space that I could have put a laptop down and took up an outlet in the wall because like it has a that you could have plugged a laptop into yeah it had its own power supply and stuff (laughs) like so it took all of that stuff and um you know it's great but i only got one thing to plug in and that's this microphone right here that's in front of me i don't have other microphones to plug in and i don't need any of the effects that are on it or any of that stuff um you know, when this thing turns into a full-on radio show and we have a time slot and everything, maybe you bring it back. I might. I and then could. you can you can play, throw some effects in there or something. And, but. and you know, when I bring guests into my, uh, you know, recording studio here. Seven, seven guests. Right. I can get them all mic'd up. <laughs> so um, yeah. I only need one interface. Uh, one one place to plug in. So I was looking around, and obviously the Focusrite stuff is very highly recommended. A lot of people have those. That's what I use. They're yep. great. They are great. We have some even at work, and I know I I know they would be great. It, it, and they don't take up a lot of space. They're kind of small. However, mm. uh, something that caught my eye was this Sure X2U. Yeah. Um, and it's tiny. Like, you see, this is the USB. This is the XLR. That's it. That's all there is. It's what they call inline. Inline. Yeah. And it, but it does have a, a an audio, you know, output in it as well. Much, oh, so for real time monitor, I can real time monitor. Plus, it can be you know a playback device too. Mm-hmm. Just like you know, just like all the oh, other I big see. boys. You know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so I can get you know system sounds and stuff over that. Plus, there's a separate volume knob, so you can have the real time audio back if you wanted to right um and i may do that i don't know i've done that before but um it's just kind of small kind of sits here behind my monitor i don't even know it's there now it's just part of the cable now it's just part of the cable now it fits right in line and it's like it just converts it from xlr to usb and i'm done that's really cool and so i don't know it's proof in the pudding we'll see what this uh episode sounds like i know yeah I, if this episode sounds terrible i will tell dan to bring back the mixer and <laughs> i don't think it <laughs> will we've had... we did a discord live stream with it yeah. last time so i've had a little little testing to it it's not like it's untested at all so i feel pretty confident with it but it does seem right. like looking at the audacity like the noise floor is down considerably 
from that's awesome that's we, gonna make my life a lot easier yeah uh, that was a super annoying junk. thing like we kept having to hunt around for different channels that didn't have as much noise and stuff yeah i think my mixer is starting to get a little old too yeah so, you bumped it with your hip too many times maybe and, i don't know and something so, got something finally got knocked loose you know it's, most of that stuff is solid state so yep. um yeah i don't know i don't know I maybe don't got either. struck by lightning too many times yeah it could be <laughs> So <laughs> that's how all my hardware goes. It gets hit by lightning and it just stops working. Uh that's how my that's how my Cisco switch died. Um my expensive small business uh, Cisco switch. And lightning. like I heard a pop, dude. So lightning lightning strikes. I hear a loud pop and uh I don't know what it is. Mm-hmm. Like I'm like, okay, cool. Um but you know, the internet continues to work, right? And so uh, but I I do a round of updates like a couple weeks later, and I realize it was the saved memory Ugh. of the Cisco switch that made the pop. It was probably that memory controller. Oh yeah, and and the running memory, the RAM, kept it going until I rebooted it, and then once I rebooted it, it stopped working. It's all gone. Just couldn't couldn't read anymore. So man, I was such a ah uh, ooh. So I I got a pretty good deal on that too. That was only seventy nine bucks. Hey, not bad. That's cheaper than a Focusrite, even the it, Solo. I it, think the it Solo's is cheaper than the, the Solo. Yeah, the, the Solo's like right around a hundred, and it, yep. that wasn't the thing that sold me. It's a Sure, so I'm, 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 you know, I know right. it's quality, matches my microphone, um, mm-hmm. and it seems good so far. So I don't know. I, I it, yeah, the price was great, and um, because like they had the Focusrite ones too on sale on the Prime Day as well. But this oh, is, did they? They oh, did. Nice. I don't know if they do anymore or not. But I'll keep an eye out for it. It would be a nice backup. I think that would be yeah. really cool. And so the other the other great thing is if we ever take this show on the road, <laughs> I could uh, easily uh, toss this in a bag and uh, take off, and uh, you know wouldn't have much to to carry along. So that'd be kind of absolutely. Great too. I like I like this guy. He has both. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, he's got XLR, good. which I use here. The here here, and then it's got USB C as well, which is awesome. That's what I wanted in the. Uh, in the the baby brother of the microphone that you have, it's what I wanted. Oh yeah, the MV seven or whatever that is. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. But I just did not like. Uh, I mean, you really had to play with the the settings on it. Like there wasn't there wasn't any low end, at least not on my voice. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I had to mutz with that in post and uh, yeah, like that at all. So without a mixer, the mixer would have come in handy with a situation true. like that. Yeah. But yeah, no, nope. Went with this guy instead, which was nice. So we'll see how it goes. I'm hoping all the best. Well, if you haven't subscribed on YouTube, make sure you click the button. I was just talking to Prisha about to Dan <laughs> about that. I hate I hate saying it. I hate saying it. But there's a housekeeping section where you can skip it and stuff, so it's not so bad, right? So you know, get just skip ahead like 45 seconds, you'll be done. Um, and then don't forget, we also have Tilvids. All of our history, including the one you're about to hear, will be out on Tilvids, the edutainment platform and of course if you want to support the show if you love the history stuff if you want to see more of it happen if you like the topic shows make sure to click on that patreon and uh you know send us a buck or two now uh quick question one that i posed last time but if you would like to support the show in some other way that we do not do or accept or whatever um let us know because yeah. uh 
not everybody's cool with Patreon and not everybody's cool with recurring payments and not everybody, not everybody, not everybody. So uh, if there are other ways that you'd like to support the show, let us know. I would like to know. And maybe we can make that happen. Let's set the scene. The year is 1992. The Linux kernel was almost a year old, and Microsoft was dominating the tech landscape with Windows 3.0. This was the year the first SMS message was sent. It just said, Merry Christmas. And soon, Intel would release their very first, and very fast, Pentium processor. And the Mosaic web browser would follow it and popularize the most basic version of what we know today as the Internet pulling away from the currently popular way to interact with it, called Gopher. But back to Linux. In the beginning, there was a kernel and a whole lot of things to do in order to bootstrap it and end up with some semblance of user space. This was until groups of hackers came together to make things a little bit easier. A couple of different free Linuxes sprang up. MCC Interim Linux born in February in 1992, and Soft Landing Linux System, born in August. There are others, but these are the important ones to this story. After rough starts with everything before it, most ended up with Soft Landing Linux. And while it was the most popular at the time, it had plenty of bugs. It never made it out of the first half of the 90s. Those bugs, left unfixed, turned users of SLS into developers of their own systems. Other Linuxes came to be. Yggdrasil in December of 92. Slackware in July of 93. And another Linux on August 16th, 1993. Ian Murdoch, a student at Purdue University at the time, announced his intention to make a new Linux release named Debian. All from scratch. Not just another soft landing Linux spinoff. The name was derived from his then-girlfriend, later wife's name, Deborah, and his own, Ian. Deb, Ian, Debian. Ian was the de facto first Debian project lead, and over the next few months, many releases from the first, 0.01 to 0.90, were made available. And in January of 94, 0.91 released with software to allow users to install packages that existed at the time, but not much else. The Debian project was still small. Ian, as the Debian project leader, and dozens, not hundreds or thousands, of contributors. All with Ian still doing the bulk of the Debian release itself, including work on the very early stages of dpackage, the base of Debian package management. Later in the month, Ian releases the Debian Manifesto. In it, it says Debian is a brand new kind of Linux distribution, not intended to be run by a benevolent dictator for life or a group that would behave the same. Debian was to be run in the spirit of Linux and GNU, to be maintained by collective, unencumbered by profit or return, but still able to compete in a commercial world. Ian wrote, the Debian design process is open to ensure that the system is of the highest quality and that it reflects the needs of the user community. And 
it all almost wasn't. Missed deadlines, broken promises, brought on by the same complications smaller distributions face today. You gotta eat. A full-time student with two part-time jobs left little time for hacking on Debian. Ian needed a break. He couldn't do it anymore. His current focus, version 0.92, still needed to be pushed out the door, but others would need to help it over the finish line. It never got there. Instead, there was an internal restructuring. Others needed and wanted to be able to contribute. And the answer to the wish Ian had expressed in his manifesto started to come together, thanks in part to Ian Jackson. In November, Richard Stallman's Free Software Foundation began paying Ian Murdoch to help them create and release their very own GNU Linux system while cooperating with Debian. However, this deal came to a close when Ian separated himself from Debian further by stepping down as the first Debian project leader, ending his three-year position in March of 96, leaving Bruce Perrins to take up the job. Ian noted at the time, Bruce was the natural choice to succeed me, as he had been maintaining the base system for nearly a year, and he had been picking up the slack as the amount of time I could devote to Debian declined rapidly. But that would be the final straw for the FSF. Ultimately, the FSF lost control of the GNU Linux system being worked on. And Debian? Didn't want it either. It was likely all for the best, as a little later in 96, Bruce Perrins, the Debian project leader at the time, noted that the other Debian collaborators would not have been very happy with Stallman's heavy-handed approach anyway, making good on another Debian manifesto promise. Collaboration. And in that spirit, soon after, Debian and the FSF resumed cordial relations. Fortunately for Bruce, but unfortunately for the manifesto, Bruce Perrins was the benevolent dictator. Not for life, but for a while. Until the upheaval of Ian stepping down and the FSF debacle can settle. And a board of directors can be elected. But rewind a little bit, and back in 95, Debian itself was still moving forward. Sidestepping 0.92, 0.93 saw public releases in March and November. The March release saw dpackage mature into something that would install and maintain all of the packages on the system. The November release, 0.93 release 6, was always Ian Murdoch's favorite and was the last with his fingerprints. The rest of the community would take it from there. 1995 also saw the very first architecture port for Debian, the Motorola 68K family in November. In 96 again, but before the much-anticipated Debian 1.0 release, one of the Debian CD manufacturers at the time mistakenly named one of the prior releases 1.0 instead. It was only partially in the executable and linkable format, ELF, and thus would likely not run. This created confusion in the community, and so it was decided to wholly skip 1.0 and continue versioning as if it had already been released. And on June 17th, Debian 1.1 is released, with the first ever code name based on Toy Story characters, at the behest of Bruce Perrins, who was, at the time, a Pixar employee. It was named Buzz, 
After Buzz Lightyear, of course. Debian has not deviated from the naming scheme since. The Linux kernel 2.0, 474 software packages and dpackage to manage it all, including dependencies. There would be a stable release that attempted to freeze software versions and a development release, a bit like the rolling releases of today. In December, Debian 1.2 is released, codenamed Rex, after the green dinosaur. Debian grew to 848 packages, all backed by 120 developers. It took a little less than a year, but on February 1st of 97, a board of directors had been elected for Software in the Public Interest, a nonprofit organization that managed the Debian project. Three weeks later, Debian shows its intent to ratify a constitution. And finally, fully relieve Bruce Perrins of the Debian reigns. Outside of the project leader position, anyway. On June 5th, Debian 1.3 is released, codenamed Bo, after Bo Peep. Debian grew to 979 packages and 200 developers. And the next month, after a failed launch due to faulty fuel cells three months prior, Debian is really launched into space by NASA, this time to monitor plant growth in microgravity, sending video and other data back home. In 1998, July 24th, Debian 2.0 is released, codenamed HAM, after the piggy bank. Ian Jackson is the current project leader, elected in January, and looked over 1,500 packages and over 400 developers. In December, Debian finally ratifies that constitution. It defines the organizational structure of the Debian project and sets forth some rules for those within it. It also defines how and when elections happen and how subsequent appointments are made and how appointees can use their new powers. An updated version of this constitution is still in effect today. At the beginning of 1999, Weikert Ackerman was elected Debian project leader and started with giving Debian a permanent identity. See, since the late 90s, the logo wasn't much of a logo at all. It was an uppercase Debian above a smaller GNU slash Linux, all on top of a multicolored pastel shape. There was also another logo getting passed around, a red penguin with a blue eye. His name was Captain Blue Eye. But in January, the logo license for Captain Blue Eye, which had been temporarily extended again and again for a few months at a time, expired again. And there was discussion of replacing him altogether. In February, a logo contest announcement. It was all to be run at contest.gimp.org, which at the time ran some type of contest every single month. The winner of the contest was set to receive a Debian.org email address along with a CD set of Debian 2.1 Slink, if it released at all. But a month later, and after a one-week delay on March 8th, Debian 2.1 Slink, the contest prize was released. Named after the Slinky Dog. Internal struggles and last-minute upgrade failures were to blame. But in spite of that, it added two more architectures, Alpha and Spark, and brought 
2,250 packages spun onto two CD-ROMs sporting Linux kernel 2.0.36. It also officially brought apt, which had been in development for a year. It was also known as dpackage get. In May, after a few false starts, the submissions were in. Ants, swirl, seal, fixed chicken, a stylized DG, and the old red penguin with a blue eye, are proposed to go head-to-head to find a new logo. It was noted at the time that old Cap'n was too Linux-specific. And on June 8th, the iconic swirl that we see today won the vote. A few more votes, and 30 days later, the swirl officially replaced the Red Penguin, and the website made the swap soon after. In July, Dpackage version 2 which was hinted at by Ben Collins back in May, is now officially a thing. And the specifications are out there boasting a more modular design. And to round out the year in December, merchandise shows up at copyleft.net. No shirts or hoodies, but a sweet evil swirl frisbee is up for grabs. Debian, like most other companies, weathered the Y2K storm with no major problems. A few more minor bugs and things like NTP date and birthday left to fix, but nothing serious. Later in 2000, Weikert Ackerman was re-elected Debian project leader. And in July, DebConf Zero. The first ever DebConf was held in Bordeaux, France. Its aim was to allow developers to talk and collaborate in person, like every other DebConf after. In August, Debian 2.2 is released, codenamed Potato, after Mr. Potato Head. It brought along PowerPC and ARM architectures on kernel 2.2.19 and 3,900 binary packages by 450 developers. It also introduced GNOME at version 1.0.56, or should I say at the time, GNOME. This release was dedicated to Joel Espy Klecker, who sadly passed away before the release. He was fighting disease during most of his Debian involvement. The rest of the year 2000 went off without much trouble, except for removing non-free. As John Gorzen puts it, non-free software is no longer an essential or standard part of a typical installation. This assertion went about as well as it would today. Which is to say, lots of discussion and no real movement. In November, the resolution to remove non-free fizzled out. In December, since 2.2 was released and going and sites were set on 3.0, with over a year's lead time, the testing distribution is set up for the first time to stage changes that would eventually become Debian 3.0. Another year, another election. Ben Collins was voted Debian Project Leader on March 29, 2001. In June, Debian suffered from an outage at master.debian.org. The cause was hard drive problems. And the effect was no bug tracking, no email, no mail archives, and a few other services. The downtime was less than a week and sparked discussions about eggs and baskets. In October, folks over at Land Comp Systems begin mastering Debian 3.0 on 
DVD ahead of the official release. This is still when four more CDs are required to get Debian going. It was a rough year. It took them a bit longer to push out 3.0 than was originally expected. A big part of that was broken boot floppies. With no booting, that meant no installation testing. And without that, development would fly blind. It was a priority. Early in the year 2002, the first net installation images were available. Much smaller than the multiple 650 megabyte Debian installation media CDs, but it's only for those with decent internet connections, as most of the system is downloaded. In April, Bedale Garby wins the Debian Project Leader election. And in July, he oversaw the Debian 3.0 release, codenamed Woody, after the toy sheriff. It brought working boot floppies and new architectures too. IA64, HP, PA Risk, MIPS, big and little, and S390. It was also KDE's debut in Debian at version 2.2, after about 10 months of testing, all with kernel 2.2.20. 8,500 packages maintained by over 900 developers. On March 29, 2003, Martin Micklemayer was elected Debian project leader and served for two years. And in August, Debian celebrated its 10th birthday. In 2005, and with the lowest election turnout ever, Brandon Robinson was elected Debian project leader. He was able to oversee Debian 3.1, released on June 6th, codenamed Sarge, after the toy soldier. No new architectures this time, but it does come with GNOME 2.8, KDE 3.3, over 9,000 new packages, along with 6,500 updated packages, and quite a few removals too. It used Linux kernel 2.4.27 and alternatively kernel 2.6. This release also includes the addition of the first Office suite in Debian, openoffice.org 1.1. Aptitude is now the preferred package manager as it could handle dependencies better than apt at the time. And finally, the Debian installer, an early version of what is seen today by default, is added. In 2006, Anthony Towns was elected Debian project leader, succeeded by Sam Hokovar in 2007. Sam was able to oversee the release of Debian 4.0 on April 8th, codenamed Etch, after the Etch-a-Sketch and unofficially in Sarge, but officially in Etch, AMD 64 architecture is here, supporting both Intel and AMD processors. And the first added architecture becomes the first dropped. The Motorola 68K architecture is no more. Etch added 6,500 new packages, bringing the total to more than 18,000, all on kernel 2.6.18. This includes... XFCE 4.4, and Compass also shows up and brings the wobble. And starting in Etch, Mozilla Firefox, out for just a couple of years so far, through a disagreement with Mozilla on backporting security fixes, would be replaced by the free software version IceWeasel. Finally, the Debian installer got its first graphical user interface. 
Steve McIntyre was elected the DPL in 2008 and served for two years. In 2009, he was able to oversee the Debian 5.0 release on February 14th, codenamed Lenny, after the binocular toy. It brings ARM EL support, 7,700 new packages for a total of over 13,000. Over 3,100 packages were removed since Edge. In addition to kernel 2.6.26, a new desktop, LXDE, arrives. Also for the first time, free versions of Java show up, allowing Java applications in main. And Debian Live is available for AMD64 and i386 architectures. This means you can boot from the media without the need to install and still run a full session. Stefano Zaccaroli in 2010 was elected Debian project leader and would serve three years. He was able to oversee the Debian 6.0 release on July 19th, 2011, codenamed Squeeze, after the three-eyed space aliens in the claw machine. The time-based freezes Debian users are familiar with show up in this release. This led Squeeze to be the first version to carry long-term support, and that support lasted for over five years. HP, PA, RISC, Alpha, and the deprecated ARM architectures were dropped. The release brought over 10,000 new packages for a total of over 29,000, all on kernel 2.6.32. This is the release that introduced the infamous KDE4 to Debian. In this release, there was also experimental support for a free BSD kernel, making Debian the first Linux distribution to allow use of a non-Linux kernel. In 2013, Lucas Nassbaum, was elected Debian project leader and would serve two years. He was able to oversee the Debian 7 release on May 4th, codenamed Wheezy, after the penguin with the red bow tie. And you may have heard the trailing zero on the major release. It's dropped. Minor releases will continue adding the point, as in point 0.1, point 0.2, etc. 7 added the S390X and ARM HF architectures, and introduced multi-arch support, allowing things like 32-bit and 64-bit binaries on the same system. This would also, hopefully, allow for live migrations from 32-bit to 64-bit systems. Over 2,000 new packages for a total of over 37,000, all on kernel 3.2. This is also the release that introduced the all-new and very controversial <laughs> GNOME 3. In 2015, Neil McGovern was elected Debian project leader. He was able to oversee Debian 8, released on April 26th, codenamed Jesse, after the cowgirl. This was a controversial release as it came bearing System D. But it wouldn't be Debian if SysVinit and Upstart packages weren't still floating around, ready to be used. The older S390 architecture was dropped along with IA64 and Spark, but ARM64 and PowerPC64EL were added. Over 12,000 new packages, which brings the total to over 43,000, all on kernel 3.16. Jesse is the first version of Debian to promise a full 10 years of long-term support. As an aside, 
Those 43,000 binary packages span 10 DVDs, or 85 CDs. This would be the last release to offer CDs as an option. If you wanted the Source 2, it would be an additional 10 DVDs, or an additional 59 CDs. For those of you keeping track at home, that's a grand total of 144 CDs. In 2016, Mehdi Doogie was elected Debian Project Leader, succeeded by Chris Lamb in 2017. And Chris would serve two turns. He was able to oversee the Debian 9 release on June 17th, codenamed Stretch, after the Toy Octopus. It added the MIPS64EL architecture and dropped PowerPC. And I386 is adjusted to mean i686 and more modern CPUs, with a few exceptions. KDE 4 is updated and migrated to KDE Plasma, now at version 5.8. And the Mate desktop is now also officially supported. More than 15,000 new packages for a total of over 51,000, including kernel 4.9. This release also makes MariaDB the default database over MySQL. This was a big change that was a long time coming since Oracle bought MySQL back in 2009, and the original developers forked the project. Installing Fresh also pushed the change to the naming scheme for network interfaces from the old ETH to ENS and ENP. In 2019, Sam Hartman was elected Debian project leader. He was able to oversee the Debian 10 release on July 6th, codenamed Buster, named after the main character's dog. This release sees the adoption of the Rust programming language by including things like FD and EXA, as well as a return of Firefox. More than 8,000 new packages brings the total to around 59,000, all on the 4.19 kernel. Debian now supports things like driverless printing, a Wayland GNOME session, the merged USR, and Secure Boot. LXQT is also officially added to the lineup alongside LXDE. In 2020, Jonathan Carter was elected Debian project leader and has been reaffirmed three more times and is currently serving as leader. He'll be up for re-election again in 2024. But in 2021, August 14th, Debian 11 is released, codenamed Bullseye, after Woody's horse. 11,000 new packages, alongside some removed, keeps the total at about 59,000. The kernel is up to 5.10. The controversial move, as with all things SystemD, to enable SystemD's persistent journaling in Varlog Journal is made. But SysVNIT and OpenRC are still officially supported. Also, XFAT support is now baked into the kernel. In 2023, Debian 12 is released in June, codenamed Bookworm, after the green worm with glasses and a flashlight. No new architectures were added or removed, but i386 support was updated to slightly newer hardware. Debian is now one of the extremely select set of distributions that support 32-bit. Slackware is another. 
around 11,000 new packages for a grand total of more than 64,000, all running on kernel 6.1. And after many battles back and forth regarding non-free firmware, Debian finally reaches the conclusion that adding it is in its best interest. So the Debian social contract was amended to include this fact. And a few days before this recording, Debian 12 Bookworm got its first point release. Now, looking ahead, sometime in 2025, usually mid-year, Debian 13, Trixie, the Triceratops, will be released. And in 2027, Debian 14, Forky, the arts and crafts fork toy, will be released. Catch our distro journey and a bunch of other great topics as they unfold over on our subreddit or on the news channel on Discord uh, or on Lemmy. We got one of them too. Don't forget about that one. It's the, it's the, it's the open one. It's the, um, it's the alternative one. It's the Mastodon of Reddits kind of one. Um, so, yeah, we got the Lemmy. We got the subreddit. We got the Discord. We got the Mastodon, the Telegram, the Matrix, the Twitch, and the Twitter. <sighs> Or X? I don't know what it uh, is, man. We're gonna call it that. I don't. Not on purpose, but no, the Bluebird. Eventually, site. eventually, I think you're gonna have to. Oh, jeez, uh, darn. Well, I'll hold out. I'll hold out. It sounds good. But until then, um, go find us on one of those places. Follow us. Let us know. Give us feedback. Tell us what you think. Yeah. Um, and tell us if you'd like us to go in a specific direction. Absolutely. Um, always like that kind of feedback. It's always good to yeah. hear. Love to hear from you. So, Dan, Debian got more of a distro treatment than a normal distro would get. But it's Debian. It's the second oldest that we've ever done on the show. Um, so, you know, it's cool. I, I feel like that was okay. I feel like it needed it. I mean, there's a lot to explore there. There's a lot to unpack. Yeah. Um, you got another week or so, maybe a week or two more than me, because uh, you said you installed it on I, release I, day. Is that right? I, I did. I installed it on release day. I was pretty excited to to jump into it. I I mean, Debian only happens once once every couple of years, and this was slated to be a good release, especially with all the software that had come out in the last couple of years. Yeah, absolutely. And fun fact, this one was the quickest to release. Uh, it, it was the shortest in between release cycles. So of of all of the releases, this one came out the fastest. So interesting. Because, I know, didn't know that actually because I didn't run the math on the dates that Yeah, it's just a little <laughs> under and thing. you know, uh so it's under the two years thing. Um so, Wow. So that's really cool. It is really cool. Um and, and they did a good job. I think uh, you know, the updates that you got are are current and the way it fell is interesting because it's like right in between uh LTS releases for Ubuntu. So, um, you know, depending on which sort of LTS train you want to get on, I guess. Um, um you could you could But Ubuntu pulls from testing and it does. testing isn't moving very fast right now because they're not really testing for Trixie Really well, just stuff's yet, getting right? in there now. So, like, yeah, the, okay. the floodgates have opened again, and stuff's oh. really starting to get in there. So you, you'll you'll see that roll through pretty good. Um, okay, so so Ubuntu's got plenty of updates that they're going to pull in. Oh, for uh, sure. For, 
Yep. Yeah, because yep. they've got what it was like six six months, uh, and then they they tend to freeze around yeah. uh, the beginning of the year to get ready for the release. Yeah. So as an example, I'll give you LXQ. Uh, that was one point two in um, Debian, and that will be one point three coming up in the next Ubuntu release. So, a whole point release. A whole point wow. release. Well, I mean, like, so <laughs> we were really close to like. When the last Ubuntu release happened, it was like, I don't know, like maybe a week before the release came out was one, the release for 1.3. So there was obviously not enough yeah. time to, to get that in there, but, um, it's coming. So, I mean, it just tells That's you where really things cool. kind of fall. Um, and, and, and things are, things are coming together good, I guess. And it's the symbiotic relationship between Ubuntu and Debian and the way, you know, changes that that need to happen in ubuntu get pushed back to debian and then they flow into ubuntu i mean it's just it's just it's it's kind of cool the way that works and you'd think it's kind of counterintuitive but it, it it it's it's neat um so a lot of the debian developers are ubuntu but there's a lot of other debian developers too not just that but um there's a yeah, I guess a lot of the Ubuntu developers also are Debian developers. I guess that's the way right way to phrase that. So that those changes get pushed the that direction. I like Debian uh a whole lot more um over the past few weeks. And I mean, because if you look at the Red Hat thing and you mm-hmm. look at um that we covered in the last episode. Right. Um and the the recent Ubuntu LXD thing, um it it really does kind of feel like to me Debian and Slackware are kind of right, and you know I, I'd put Arch in there too, and, and Gen, Gen two too, right? I guess right. Like we we say we don't want some corporate sponsor basically, but we want people to get paid. So I mean, so the money has to come from someplace. I mean, so it's good that it is actually a community, right? It's not just Ubuntu. There's other community members too getting paid exactly. elsewhere, and so. This is the place where all the corporates maybe collide, and that's the corporate community, if you will. I don't know. And that's a great thing, I think. Uh, And this is what has kind of attracted me to Debian over the past few months, I guess, Um, because the manifesto is proving to be a good thing. Right. Ian Murdoch had said something to the effect of, you know, we're not going to be influenced by the money or the corporate interest. That's true. Yep. Now, there's a bunch of corporate interests there, but as you said, they collide. Right. What one big company wants versus what Canonical wants versus what any other um, any other moneyed interest in Debian wants have to fight each other to make that change in Debian, and then even then, it still has to be uh, voted on. Right. And it oh, yeah. still has to be put to the Debian community at large, which is made up of sure people on those corporate boards or people that are that are in uh in those groups but also people that aren't there could be and, people that are just not re- you know associated with any other corporation at all necessarily just, just a debian developer just a developer absolutely that's it so i mean yep. it is true community grassroots where everybody kind of comes together so you're right and and not every decision is going to be great. Nope. You know, DevOne exists. Well, there's a, um, there's a but, lot of discussion, that's for sure, before things happen. 
Oh, wow. And that is that is one thing that kept coming up over and over and over again. If you can't reach, uh, you know, something on a vote, you'll just keep voting over and over until something wins. Yep. And the discussion will go on wow. for days. Months. Do not. I'm warning you. <laughs> don't go into that mailing list, man. I've oh. done it so you don't have to. It's, it's rough in there sometimes, man. It can be. It just so many reiterations of the same point. And, you know, not not that that's a bad thing, but it just goes to show how passionate people yeah. can be and uh, how long things take. Bureaucracy in this case is not necessarily a bad thing. Yes, it does make things slow moving, but man, if Debian isn't a lighthouse in the fog of all the crazy things that have happened this year. Yeah, I mean, looking at the date, right? I mean, so Slackware just had their 30th uh, anniversary, right? Yeah, yeah, Looking at the date, by the time we release this episode, we're going to be really close to spot on to 30 years. Right on a Debian anniversary. Well, pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah, we're going to be a few days off. But yeah, 30 years for Debian. So you don't get to 30 years as a Linux distribution. I mean, we've seen a lot of them fizzle out over time. I mean, a lot of them. Oh, Red Hat's coming up. Red Hat is coming up. They're 95. I get it. So, but I, I'm just saying they got a couple like, years. I mean, how many arch distros have you seen disappear? Or you know, <laughs> I mean, like, uh, but even the derivative ones, like, they just fall off. Like, nothing seems to last forever. But the ones that do, they're very solid. They've got good discipline. They've got a good plan. Like, you know, we talked about the Constitution that they've developed. They stick to it. They've they they. They they got a way that that makes it work for them. Yeah, yeah. So I'm I'm so Steam OS mm-hmm. thirty years. I don't know. I'm I mean, looking if you forward could to it. Keep your little handheld going for thirty years. Sure. <laughs> no, you'll just buy a new one because there'll be there'll be Steam Deck two come out in a couple of years, well, and then maybe. you'll get the new one and the Steam Deck three and four. It's... But they're not based on Debian, so they're, they're not. Stop talking about them. Right. <laughs> Back to Debian. I had a great time. I had a Excellent time. So I went Plasma. Um, no shocker there. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> I have to be the tail to your heads. Okay. And so obviously I went Gnome. Okay. Just to, just to do it. That's good. That's the, that's the main, you know, DE, if you will. But I'll say people worry about, you know, it's a little old, right? I mean, it's, it's Plasma from a couple of days ago or something. And so... I don't know. It seemed to work. I mean, there's might be a little bug here or there that that has been fixed in subsequent releases of Plasma. But now we're kind of at a standstill anyway when you look at Plasma while they get oh, you know Plasma 6 yeah. prepped, right? So it was a good time. So you're looking out for Trixie. Well, yeah. Debian, yeah, so you can get that new Plasma 6 hotness. So there's kind of a gap there. It's a good time actually to be Plasma on Debian if you're ever going to do it, I feel like. So mm-hmm. um that's been running great. The big bugaboo. Uh, and it's been, it was even mentioned in the history. Uh, web browsers. Why? Oh, man, yeah. web browsers are terrible. They're hard to keep up with. That's all there is to yeah. it. Yeah. And, and, you know, a bit that we didn't cover was the, the change from Firefox to, well, to Ice Weasel, then back to Firefox, Firefox. but then to Firefox ESR. Yeah. Um, and ESR yeah. makes sense. ESR does it, make sense. Okay. For a Debian, absolutely. For for any LTS, I feel like, uh, honestly. But for a Leo, no. No, no, no. <laughs> I wasn't saying it was great. 
Um, although I, th- uh, I'd have to check. I think it did get an update, but I don't know as it got like a you know a version update. Obviously, sure. Oh um, no, no, not ESR. I don't think so. No, no. But they did come out with a new ESR not that long ago. Mm. That was obviously it comes off the the main Firefox branch, if you will. But I still think that's like 102 or something like that. So it's it's behind. Right. Yeah, that yeah. doesn't do it for me. I'm like you. I that's not cutting it. So yeah, e- ESR is like the the CentOS to the to the Fedora. Um, I'm gonna be on Fedora. I want I want the regular one. It's like throwing a CentOS package on your Fedora. <laughs> True. Yeah, I it's, mean, it, it's, right? It, it would work. It works for a lot it of works. people, but I would like the newest Firefox, and that is not Same. at least obviously available in the Debian repositories. So you've got to, you got to do some kind of magic to make it work. And so I went, I went really creative this time. I went, yeah, really, both of us really did really creative. Uh, I went DistroBox, and yep, I did an Arch DistroBox. Uh, I do a separate home directory for my Arch DistroBox, which is just a folder inside of my home directory. So it's not really that far removed, but it's a separate one so that all of the config files that I, for the stuff that I install in my Arch DistroBox ends up in there. And it doesn't really collide then potentially with my um, Debian install because if you have ESR alongside your regular Firefox, they're starting to, you see the the possible collision of sharing files there potentially. Oh, that makes sense. I totally just deleted ESR. Well, that, that works too. <laughs> I just kept it, but I didn't want my, now, I, didn't, I didn't want my config files because sometimes with different versions, config files can't coexist like that. Right. Yeah, and so I, I get that. I didn't want that collision to happen. So I created a separate home and that works great. Um, and I did Arch, so I got the latest Firefox. Got all those, you know, uh, you know, crazy codec things. Uh, well, okay. Our Arch gives that to you nicely. Um, and uh, yeah, just it keeps up. Like I mean, it just updates uh, whenever I do the Pac-Man SYU. And if it blew up, oh well, I just start over and. I'm off to Just the hope, races your, again. hope your config files are still there, but yeah. Yeah. And I, I learned all that the hard way. Mm-hmm. Um, so my, my first inclination when I installed DistroBox was to, well, why don't I use the Fedora one? I like Fedora. Fedora is great. They they keep up with Firefox, maybe a day or two late, but you know, whatever. I, I'm not that hard up for the, the updates. Um, so I installed it and, you know, go on to YouTube or any, uh, I log into my Plex so I can watch a video here or there. Um, YouTube works. It's choppy. I hated it. Um, and Plex does not work at all because there's no proper H.264 codec. I think they made some change where the Cisco one is yeah, a fallback it, now it or something. But that, yeah. But I don't even know if, uh, so I very quickly realized uh, we need to get rid of that. Mm-hmm. And the other option that uh, that I saw was Arch. Mm-hmm. And I know they keep up with things very quickly, so why not? And lo and behold, all the codecs are baked right in. Um, Arch doesn't seem to have the same aversion to non-free software that both Debian and Fedora do. So... Hey man, everything just worked. They worked. So 
Of course, Firefox and DistroBox is my jam on a distro that does not come with Firefox, the latest Firefox, available to me. Mm-hmm. So, man. That uh, worked good. I, I didn't stop there, though, Leo. Uh, oh, that, you just kept not going. not where it stopped. I didn't okay. even bother installing Flatpak. No snaps. No app Blasphemy. Image, no app images. None of that. None of it. Everything got, you know, that I needed yeah, a, a more current version than what Debian was giving me. Wow. I went and installed in the Arch distro box and did it that way. You know what? Actually, there's a good reason for that. So Thunderbird mm-hmm. uh, 115 yep. Supernova with the big, huge UI changes right. was released. And... Arch got it a few days after. Like, pretty much every pretty Linux quick. distro had a little bit of time to ramp up to that. There was a good week or so where nobody got the update. Um, but people started getting it after that, and Arch was one of them. But Flatpak, almost two or three weeks There's a little after, bit. They, they had a little yeah. bit of a change in some things, and so it took them a little longer, yeah. So had I gone with Thunderbird in mm. DistroBox in Arch, I'd have had it right. probably a week prior to getting it in Flatpak, which is the way that I installed it. Right. Huh. DistroBox keeps looking better and better and better. And I mean, it's not quite Flatpak easy yet. It is not. But no, no. I wasn't professing for that. I just thought I'd try no, something No, no, no. Not yeah. at all. But wow, if it doesn't check the boxes. It makes it nice. That... Because, you know, I'm, there are certain applications that in Flatpak I do like the bubble wrap and the uh, yeah. and the containerization and stuff like that. And DistroBox doesn't quite give you that kind of thing. It doesn't. But it sure does give you new versions faster in some cases. So, man, that does make it a lot more enticing. So I, I you're kind of convincing me to go the way you've gone and, and uh, look down the barrel of distro box as opposed to flat pack at least more often it's a good experiment hmm. it really was uh, but you know i i didn't i didn't go to that well too much only for a few things uh for the most part i just ran what was uh given to me straight down the debian uh repo you know well, yeah well something like audacity i don't need that to change no that's so good yeah I, I especially don't need that to change that does not need to crash or anything so mm-hmm. if it works yeah, I'm gonna keep it. I just right. nope, don't ever change. Right, right. You are fine. Yeah. So that that that'll come straight from the Debian repo. Yeah, and, and you get all the security updates and stuff. They keep you they keep you secure. So right. I mean, you're good there. So I I don't know. I mean, I was I was pretty happy. I, I that was a good good move. It seemed to work out really well for me, and it was an interesting experiment that I'll probably do again. Well, I I'm gonna a thousand percent agree with you, um, because I I. I have historically had a whole lot of Ubuntu kicking around. That's and fair. I still have Ubuntu kicking around. Ubuntu is still on my NAS. Uh, it runs Plex. It does Nextcloud in a snap. And so, you know, I've, I've got no aversion to any of the anything canonical or Ubuntu at all. But with the other smaller things, things running in a VM, uh, I have absolutely swapped it over to Debian. Nice. So now I'm a bit of a half and half kind of situation. I'm half Debian, half Ubuntu, where I was 99% Ubuntu prior to this. D- the experience on Debian has just been a very good one for me. On the laptop I've got behind me, 
that is Debian, and I don't think it's going to go anywhere because the marriage of Debian and DistroBox plus Flatpak, there's nothing I can't get. Right. So having a nice, stable Debian base is fantastic. The yep. hardware supported. I don't need anything more than that. And then add stuff on top of that is fantastic. Um, Firefox, right? I mean, and then I've got another box that I use. Uh, I'll, I'll wire guard into my home network and then use that to get a full GUI. That machine is now Debian where it used to be. Actually, that one used to be Linux Mint. So it was Ubuntu, but sort of, kind of. Right. Uh, but now it's just straight Debian. Cool. Debian 12 with um with Mate okay. on it, which they added not too terribly long nope. ago. Yeah. And that WireGuard box, the, the WireGuard box I use to VPN into my home network is now also Debian. So we went from, I don't know, six or seven Ubuntu boxes to now like half and half. Yeah. It is, nice. it is really cool. And this is going to have to wait for another episode, probably one of the topic ones. But uh, I went from VMware ESXi. Yep. To Proxmox 8, which is based on Debian 12. Debian 12. Yep. So there's just a whole lot more Debian in my life. And cool. I really, really, especially after going through the history of it, especially after reading the entire Debian manifesto and really finding myself agreeing with the things that Ian Murdoch wrote back in 1994. Yeah. I feel a whole lot more comfortable with those choices. I feel a whole lot better about what I'm running on the boxes that do little things automatically in, in my home. So that, that might mean I'd start looking a little closer at Raspbian instead of running Ubuntu on some of the pies that I've got. Yeah. So well, well that, that's, a, that's a bridge that I cross later down the line. Well, that's fair. But, I mean, we did uh, that for a little while and it worked, yeah, it worked great. We did. Like it worked fine. Yeah. It absolutely does. So as as I um I did some WireGuard testing on a Pi, mm -hmm. on a Pi two, on a Pi three, uh -huh. and then also on a VM. Right. Uh, that'll be for another episode oh, nice. too. But um, but yeah, just I'm using a whole lot more Debian everywhere. Cool. I got one, I got I got one thing. There's there's one thing. <laughs> I cannot just sit here in good conscience and say Debian is the best distro in the world. Let me. That, uh, let me get on a soapbox. Real they, quick. they might need a wordsmith. <sighs> well, you know, it probably hasn't been changed since like Debian seven. So you know, it's a it's high time. Uh, so okay, okay. Here's my thing. I go into the Debian installer, and you get to the part of the Debian installer, the regular Debian installer, not the Calamaris installer. Yeah, Dan, you I cheated, cheated, but I cheated. but I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> and you get to the 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 heading it says set up users and passwords and the first thing it tells you to do it straight up says you need to set up a password for root and the first time i installed debian i was like of course you do it's just like it's just like on the on the fedora red hat side you you set it up and then you know you can disable it later whatever no big deal so you type in the password whatever whatever and you click next and then you create your user account there's no checkbox or anything. I I quadruple check. There's no checkbox that says make me an admin. Trust me, I checked. Yeah, yeah. Multiple that's in times. calamaris. Right. And so you get into 
you get the install done. You get you you log into a terminal. You're in user space. <laughs> I, I just like saying user space now. Mm-hmm. Um, you're in user space, and you try to do something. And not only do you not have things like user sbin in your path, you don't have access. And it gives you that that amazing message like. Um, you are not in the pseudoers group. This will be reported. Yeah. And I'm like, reported to who? To me? <laughs> I already know. So and 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 I'm frustrated about it. So <laughs> thanks for double telling me. I appreciate it. Yeah. So what do I do? I I get into my profile, um, I fix my path, and then I create or apparently you have to install the pseudo application. So I install pseudo. I add myself to the group, I log out, log in, everything's hunky-dory, I'm good now. Okay, cool. So the next time I install it, uh, this was on my laptop, the next time I install it on the remote box, because I'm in Debian right now, I go through it again, and I am Hawkeye in this thing, right? But I don't read it all. So I, you need to set up a password, the system administrative account, a Stop malicious reading. unqualified user, and I'm like, <laughs> yeah, and I'm like, blah, 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 of course, set it up do the whole entire dance again. And then, okay, so I did it for a third time. This one's on me. The first this two were not. <laughs> the, well, the, fir- the first two was, you know, I just next, next, next to too fast or whatever. The third time it was on me. I still didn't read it all because there's so much, dude. It it goes in and tells you it, set up a root it password. It kind of contradicts it's dangerous itself. If yeah. You, yeah, it's dangerous if you don't. Make sure you pick up uh, pick one that that people can't easily guess. It shouldn't be a found. Uh, it shouldn't be found in the dictionary or anything that that should be associated with you. A good password will contain a mix. And you're and you're just like cool. There's nothing beyond this point that should concern me. Set the password for a third time. After it reminds you again, yeah. it says, and I haven't even gotten to this part. It says yeah. the root user should not have an empty password. And so I'm like, I, I did. Yeah, I no, know. I I'm put good. a password. But it goes on to say, if you leave this empty, the root account will be disabled. The system's initial user account will be given the power to become root using the sudo command. <sighs> Had I read the entire wall of EULA, <laughs> I would have seen it and it would have occurred to me to just so what I, what I'm saying is I didn't next 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 through fast enough. You missed a had next. Had I yeah, had I not even read the first sentence of that page, I would have gone on and I'd have had pseudo powers and path probably would have been already filled out so that I could use tools in user sbin. But uh, I didn't, and it didn't, and so I was frustrated. Uh, thanks, Debian, for that. But everything else is cool. I like I like Debian a lot, actually. And now that I know that, I, um, I, yeah, we're good. We're good. Me and Debian, me, me, you, Debian, we're good. We're cool. But also fix that because that's terrible. That should be way more apparent. There should be a checkbox, dude. Like there should be it's something that you have to super like. Super well written. Either you could maybe <laughs> start off with if you leave this empty. Yeah, yeah actually, start yes. off with that sentence. You don't even gotta like. And then yeah, you don't have to if, change the verbiage. It, you just have to rearrange just, it. Just, just shuffle it around a little bit. Yeah, and you're there. And I'll, I'll. They'll probably take a pull request if we stick it out there. Debian, please. Maybe maybe it'll take some discussion on the mailing list, though. 
Debian, please. Other than that, okay. no, that's, it's but, fine. Yeah, other than that, everything was or, fantastic. Or you could do like I did and just use Calamari's, the Calamari's live installer. Like, so if you use any of the live- uh, that's they're it, gonna they're gonna reject a request and they're gonna tell me to use Calamaris. No, I don't think so. No, I don't <laughs> think that's the preferred way. But like, if you did, like, it's a whole lot easier and it's very familiar for everybody. I just want to check it out. Interesting fun fact. Um, just so you know, the Debian project leader, uh, Jonathan Carter, he's actually the one that maintains uh, the Calamaris package inside of Debian. Well, thanks, Jonathan, because you um, there's a checkbox and I like that. Uh, the other installer? I don't like that. No, it's old. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, no. So good times. Had a lot of fun and really did enjoy it. And it's going to be a hard one to kick to the curb. Yeah, yeah. Debbie, Debian gets a big old heart. Yep. I like it. Well, well, you made it to the end of the show. And uh, so make sure you go to linuxuserspace.show. Click, click on that. And... Click on past episodes, and there's an episode tracker, which is really cool yep. because that's what I look at every time I say something dumb, like, hey, we covered that before, and then I have to go back and look. Yeah, uh, Dan does a really fantastic job of making sure that everything is up there, and you can go back and like actually see what we've covered. That's what I use to make sure I don't accidentally recover something. Yeah, well, so. you can see the history of the Linux user space. <laughs> We're big on history. We like that. Um. But if you want to get in contact with us, if you, you, you can always go to linuxuserspace.show and use the contact form that's there on the webpage. You don't actually have to use email. But if you're a curmudgeon like me and you enjoy things like Thunderbird, you can always email us at, at email us at contact at linuxuserspace.show. So next time. Next time. Next time. We got, we got it. We're just going to talk about random stuff. We're going to talk we about are. the stuff we're gonna, that. We're going to pull your feedback. Happened. We're going to talk about that. And. Oh, yeah. Send it, send it in. Make sure you send in the feedback so we yeah. can just have an entire show of feedback. That would be kind of cool. That would actually. be cool. I'd take it. But also, whatever happens uh, between now and then and also the past two weeks, we'll talk about that. Absolutely. And whatever else we feel like. Because uh, we got to fill up an hour ish. <laughs> Or more. More <laughs> likely is, more, yeah. Yeah, usually more. Yeah, no doubt. All right, so it's time to announce the next distro that we spend the next month on. I don't know how you can beat Debian. I don't think you can. But the only way to beat Debian is to come up with something totally new, like an immutable base, L kind of like endless OS, right? And one distro that does that fairly well is Fedora Silverblue. But there are others too, right? So I'm not going to restrict us just to Fedora Silverblue, but there are other there are. immutable base Fedora distros. Yes. Um, Kino White is one of them. That is the KE okay. Plasma version. I want to say Voxite is another one. Uh, that um, might be the XFCE variant. I'm not sure. Okay. Um, oh, wait. Immutable desktops. Learn more. There's a Sway version as well. I'm not sure what those are. <gasps> I don't know what those are named. It doesn't matter. Um, oh, here they are. Uh, here we go. Saracia? Saracia? Is that that one? Maybe. 
Yeah, popular sway, Tyler. Yeah, okay. So so there are officially three to choose three. from. There's silver blue, Kino White, and I hope I'm pronouncing this right, Saracia, which is sway, the tiling window manager. Right. Uh, and they all use RPM OS tree. Yep. Um, they all focus on flat packs. They all use Podman in the back end for development. And they're all backed up by the Fedora community. Hmm. Sounds interesting. I think we should try. Well, let's try. So for the next month, uh, we'll try one of these Fedora mutable thingies, whatever, whatever that means. We'll give you some history about it, too. Yeah, that's that's what I'm. So I'm going to specifically avoid doing what I'm apt to do, which is the whole thing uh, and go all the way back in, into Fedora's history. I think what I want to do with that is there's just a we just redo Fedora maybe one day. I don't know. One day. We'll see how that goes. For now, but we're just going to pick up for, where where Silver Blue takes the takes off and go from there. Sounds good to me. So for the next month, Fedora Immutable. Come uh, come hang out on the uh, on the Lemmy and tell us how the Fedora Immutability is going for you. So till then, stay tuned. Tell us all of the things on Lemmy Reddit, Twitter, Mastodon, Telegram, HXS, whatever, however you do it, whenever you do it, join the conversation. All the links that we've got, we talk about in the show, all of the show notes, all of that stuff, end up on linuxuserspace.show. So make sure you check that out as well. Um, but yeah, until next time, where can we find you, Dan? You can find me at KC2BEZ, still on the Bluebird site, or at KC2BEZ at mastodon.social. It's not a Twitter anymore. Yeah. You can find me on the X Twitter site at Leo Chavez or of course on the more open the more free the mo better at Leo Chavez at Mastodon dot social so come back in two weeks for more Linux user space we'll see you then see ya bye Yeah. Blend OS for history. How about that? It's like uh, oh. six months old, dude. I, I, <laughs> what an easy I wanna, episode. <laughs> I want to do Blend OS because it is uh, really cool. Um, and it, it tickles the same Arch fan base. It does. It does. talking it, about, it, which is it It used to be Ubuntu. That That's like the cool history bit about Blend is yeah. that it started Ubuntu, then flipped Arch, which is weird. But not. I, but... but but they're uh, they're like Steam OS, Steam Deck, uh, Atomic. Is it yeah. Atomic? Uh, and then and you can roll back. Yeah. Is it Atomic? Yeah, because I'm pretty sure. Yeah, because it yeah. it's all one one thing, right? And then uh, the rollback thing. What what is that called? Immutable. Oh, there's, a, there's Immutable. immutability yeah. in there as well. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that 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 makes it fine. That makes the arch bits fine. I agree. But I just uh, I'm not sure at that point that you need a. Well, I guess you do because you're immutable. You want you want some mutability to go with your immutability, right? So that's right, why right. you need the distro box. Whack whack. <laughs>